Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today we're going to talk about lying. And in this session, we'll see how lying is inherent from the beginning and will continue its due course and volume until the end. Our first scripture will be Psalm 12, 1 and 2. And as usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we'll put those in the overview. So, with the commonality of lies from the government all the way down to the common man, let's just dig right in. Thank you, Randy. The current event, everyone's lying, whether it's people in government, military sources, news people, politicians, and it's always been that way. So let's first of all just keep that in mind. He's, Randy's going to read Psalm 12, verses 1 and 2 for us. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Amen. So what is the Christian expectation about this lying? Well, as we're going to see, it begins in Genesis, continues all through the many millennia, and will be especially rampant in the end. So here's a passage that bears that out. Randy's going to read it from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's the kind of, as you sow, so shall you reap. Yeah, as you live your life of deceit and lies, and you will receive lies. Uh, the punishment fits the crime. But wow, notice how uh, at the end time, right before Jesus comes back, Satan will empower this man of lawlessness, traditionally referred to as the Antichrist. In the next uh, podcast, we'll have more to say about that. But it's uh, lying wonders. Mm-hmm. And notice, division of mankind is between those who follow the lying wonders and signs and those who love the truth. It's interesting, too, that, that there is a point at which people reach a tipping point with God. Correct. Absolutely. So the origin of the lies, what we're looking at today in this podcast, we want to look at it and it's kind of an imaginary context to help appreciate the cunning of Satan. And uh, we're going to start, therefore, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Randy? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig trees together and made themselves loincloths. Amen. 
So who starts this conversation? It is uh, the serpent in Christian tradition, of course. It's Satan because in Christian tradition with Jesus' teaching, as we'll see in John 8, and certainly in the book of Revelation, he's identified with that serpent, the liar, who fools mm -hmm. and deceives mankind. So, and this is Satan. He always starts it. He is an instigator. Where is it taking place? In the garden, and in my opinion, as you'll see my explanation, right around that uh, forbidden fruit tree. And uh, how does the conversation go? Well, we're going to take a look. First, here's a quote from a Puritan named Thomas Adams, and he says this, Satan, like a fisher, baits his hook according to the appetite of the fish. Mm. This is part of Satan's wisdom. In Luke 4.13, after Jesus has gone through those final big three temptations with Satan, we are told that Satan left him until there was going to be an opportune time later on. Opportune means a place when he believes Jesus would be exceptionally vulnerable. And so we got to keep that in mind. Eve, as we will see, gets into this vulnerable situation. It's an opportune time for Satan to take advantage of her. So we want to look at the ark of the lie. He's going to lie to her. You've heard Randy read that text from Genesis where he lies. What is the power of the lie? First of all, it's got to have the right kind of context. It's just not a lie out of nowhere. We're going to look at the context in Genesis. And it's the power of attraction. The power of Satan is his ability to lie in such a way that millions of people believe it is so. Now, we get some information from James that Satan is always on the initiative pushing, pushing, pushing. He, he does this with Eve. He draws first, and then he pushes. James says we got to resist. Uh, Randy's going to read James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resistance, meaning he's coming on with his power of deception, his attractions uh, to uh, fool you, deceive you, and con you. He is a deceiver. He likes to stir up our base passions. In 2 Samuel 11, uh, we're told in the spring when kings go forth to war, apparently David did not, and he stayed behind. So he walks up on a housetop one day and looks down, and there's this beautiful woman taking a bath, and everybody else knows the rest of that story. Idle hands, idle time. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, he put himself in a vulnerable situation. There was an opportune time there for sin to come about through um, the machinations of Satan, and David fell, and we know that also led to his own deceit, trying to cover up the affair, and of course trying to make it look like the husband of Bathsheba, Uriah, was killed militarily when in fact it was planned to be a murder. Mm -hmm. So Satan has cunning deception. What's he doing here in the garden? He's waiting for an opportune moment. He's not there by accident. He just doesn't pop up. He's there. He's in place. He's waiting. Why is Eve there? Well, this is interesting. In Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 6, we're told after she had the fruit and ate it, she gave to Adam who was with her. Mm -hmm. All along, Adam's been here. Now, Silent. Next uh, yes, yeah. uh, <laughs> yes, and there's a lesson there if we had a podcast or two to do about men in the Bible and how they listened to their wives and ended up in trouble, like Abraham. But uh, here's the thing. He's with her there apparently the whole time. He doesn't, true, he doesn't say anything, but how'd they get there? Well, I think they were on a walk, as they would do, toward this, getting toward the evening of the day. 
and so they're going to walk. They also talked because in Genesis 3.17, when God addresses Adam with what he's done, he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now, earlier we just had, she gave him fruit. They had mm -hmm. a conversation. Mm -hmm. And apparently Eve won that conversation. Um, here's a, a thought from uh, Irenaeus. He is a uh, church father, and he's one who posited that uh, Adam and Eve, though they were adults in body, they were very childlike, innocent and immature, and they had not yet understood certain things. Mm -hmm. So what does Satan do? He gets her attention because the conversation, when it starts, is with Satan saying, basically, oh, I'm sorry, did God say we couldn't eat from any of these trees? And I've always thought that's, that's, that's an odd way to start a conversation. But let me give you an example of something, how this works. Suppose I work in a big office, and the boss there has a room filled with 100 cabinets. And they all got files in them. But one cabinet is the A-file cabinet. Can't get in that. That's the boss's file cabinet. But I got to get in there. I have my own reasons. Mm -hmm. I go into the room, and then I go up to that A cabinet, and I'm getting into it. All of a sudden, his faithful secretary comes through the door. I turn around, and I see the look on her face. And it's one of questioning, a surprise, shock, whatever. And basically, I say, oh, did um, the boss say we couldn't get into any of these files? And she would say, well, <laughs> the A file you can't get. That's, that's what's going on here. He's got to get her attention. His, he is there in the garden. I believe he's got the fruit. Mm -hmm. He's eating it, and she is there with Adam. They walk by. She sees that. It provokes her face with that kind of a shock and wonderment. What's going on here? That provokes that response of Satan by saying, Oh, I'm sorry. Did God say we couldn't eat any of the trees? And then we come to the bait and switch. He gets her to bring up the one tree. He wants to provoke her to enter the conversation, and he knows that will do it. And so she says, of course, well, uh, no, but, but uh, we can eat from any tree, but the, the ones in the midst of the garden, uh, we cannot uh, eat from it, neither should we touch it, mm -hmm. lest we die. Now, there are those who say, well, um, she added to the word of God here, because God said you can eat freely from the trees, but of this one you don't eat, when she said, you know, also you don't touch it. Uh, and she didn't say you could freely eat, she dropped that word out, so she detracted from the word, she added to the word, but if that's a bad thing, he would have, that is God, would have judged her there. You know, Deuteronomy in the book of Revelation, especially that chapter, says you uh, get punished if you take away from the word of God. Mm -hmm. You don't add to it, you don't detract from it in that mm -hmm. sense. So I don't think that's a problem. I think it's inherent in the command that you wouldn't touch it. I also and, think she had a bigger problem there when she actually took a bite. Yeah, I think she did. I there, think was, she, <laughs> there was a larger issue. I think she, that's right. Um, <laughs> So it may be inherent in it. She says, God said, and she understood God to mean also you didn't touch it. Because as she's watching this take place, obviously he's touching it mm -hmm. because he's taking it and putting it in his mouth. So I, I don't find fault with her because I see nothing here that God finds fault with her. So the touch leads to the fact of the eating. She sees that, and she just is confused. She doesn't understand. Um, so she sees this. She hears and what's going on? It's a gradual seduction, if you will. First with, with the eyes, then with the touch, and then with the taste. It's, it's all the way. Exactly. Yeah. It's the arc of the lie. That's how it goes. Here's a quote from a Watchman Nee. 
well-known Chinese Christian writer. His books are not always easy to read, but always worth reading if you got time. He says, all satanic works are performed from the outside inward. All divine works from the inside outward. Mm. Here's a classic passage from 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 through 7, which illustrates that. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's it. He needed to get Eve attracted to the outward appearance of things of what he was doing and then draw her in. Mm. So, and also, in this thing that Randy just mentioned, this, this progression, um, as we've already seen, it's a condensed version of what happened. It's inaccurate, obviously, but condensed because there's a conversation, obviously, that he had, Adam with Eve, that God refers to. You listen to the voice of your wife, that we don't have that conversation. We don't know. And we don't have the background of when they came up to that place, the tree. Satan was already there because apparently, in my estimation, they would take walks in that way. Mm-hmm. So he planted himself in the right spot, location, ate the fruit, got the look he wanted from Eve, started the conversation, she took the bait, and ran with it. Well, not only that, but when the Lord comes to find them later, he's walking in the garden. Yes. And they're hiding. So it's clearly this is a common Common occurrence. Common occurrence, absolutely. And Satan knows all of this, so he waits for his opportune moment. Maybe, also, it's a time of day when it was time for them to go pick fruit because they were hungry. And so that also Mm. would enter into it. Because we know on the first temptation, both in Matthew and Luke, Jesus has fasted 40 days and nights, and it says the greatest understatement in the Bible, he was hungry. <laughs> yeah, he, was, he was very hungry. He was very hungry, and so that's the first temptation. Yeah. Satan comes in when you're vulnerable, when he thinks it's an opportune moment. When you're tired. When you're tired, you're yeah. weary, and you got no food, your energy level is shot. Then we see he goes from innocent question Oh, did God say we couldn't eat from any of these trees? Uh, and then Eve takes the bait and runs with it. Uh, we go from that innocent quizzing of Satan to you will not die. Mm. You will not die. Exact opposite of what God says. So it starts off with not questioning God, just asking an innocent question. I'm, I'm confused here. Did I, uh, maybe I got this wrong. We, we can't eat from any of these trees? Why are you can't? Then he ends up with a bold declaration. This is where he goes, because he knows he can do it now. You will not die. Okay. Contradicts God. That's a lie. And you'll be like God. Now, the curious thing is, they were already made in the image of God. Mm. They were already like God and supposed to be conforming to him by obeying and following his word. They weren't missing anything except this one tree. Exactly. And the implication of Satan is that God is stingy. He's holding things back, Mm. which he, of course expands one. He says, if you eat from this, God knows you'll be like him. And he doesn't want competition. He's very egocentric. He's selfish. Mm-hmm. He's really into himself. <laughs> says the one that is very much egocentric. <laughs> and into himself. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, because God knows that you'll be like him, you know, knowing, that is, determining what is good and evil. Uh, and therefore, God is the one who gets to make the judgments. Of course, this is the Pharisee problem. They thought they could tell what was good and what was evil. Jesus was doing evil things on the Sabbath day by healing people. Mm -hmm. He wasn't doing good. And so they'd already swallowed the bait of Satan, and that's why they became Pharisees. Here's what Jesus says about this 
garden incident, John 8, 43, 44. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yes, or as the NIV used to say, uh, lying is his native tongue. Mm. Uh, he's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Could refer to, of course, Cain killing Abel because First John tells us that Cain was of the evil one and killed uh, Abel because Abel's works were righteous and Cain's were not. Um, but first of all, what Satan does is kill truth. Mm. The killing of truth is first and then comes even physical deaths after that. And so this is a calamitous defeat in the Garden of Eden. Loss of innocence, loss of paradise, etc. That's the arc of the lie. Let's take a look now at the Ark of Sin in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. If you'll listen carefully as Randy reads, you'll see that this parallels the story we just discussed. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. First is desire of the base kind going against the word of God, which leads to sin, which when carried out eventually leads to death, as we see the death pronounced by God upon Adam and, uh, and Eve. Interesting that it's a progression. Again, it's a progression. It's yeah. an arc. Yeah. Absolutely. And that death works itself out over the long run for you know, a thousand years, going from the Garden of Eden clear up to uh, the time of Noah and beyond. So it does take time, but it always comes to pass. So inherent in temptation is deceit. That is the essence of temptation. You're being deceived. You're being conned. And God doesn't tempt, says, says James. God does not tempt to sin, does not tempt to sin. So people say, well, then why is it in certain passages it seems like God does talk about tempting us? For instance, Matthew 6.13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yes, there's a lot of discussion on this. Why would we ask God not to lead us into temptation? Isn't that something God wouldn't do anyway? Well, we got to understand the difference between sinner's temptation, Satan's temptation, and God's temptation. For example, it was perfectly clear, and, and uh, Randy's going to read two passages here, one from Matthew 4, 1, and then the other one from Mark 1, verses 12, 13, which deal with Satan involved in the temptation of Jesus. Matthew 4.1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And Mark 1 verses 12 and 13 say, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. He was led by God's providence, God's Spirit, into the temptation. It can also, as Mark says, it was a a driving of the Spirit to put him in that position where he'd be tempted by Satan. 
God puts Jesus in this temptation to prove who he was. He trusted his son. He knew his son. At his baptism, just previous to this, he'd said, this is my beloved son in whom I well pleased. Mm. Jesus was ready for and up to the task, and he proved that he was. And so Satan lost. And it was also to prove to Satan, to angels, as well as to us, that Jesus conquers sin, Satan, and will conquer death. God puts us in circumstances to prove who we are so we may learn and turn and do what's right. Sometimes, mm-hmm. apparently, that's the only way we learn. Here is this fascinating passage from Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Right. Extraordinary, is it not? Mm-hmm. Satan has asked. Uh, what's the word there? Demanded? Ask? Demanded. Yeah, yeah, demanded. Yeah. Satan is demanded because he is the God of this present world and they were acting worldly, the disciples, you know, under his influence. He says, let me have Adam, all 12 of them. And Jesus says, Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat. You're going to be put in a bad place, and you're going to be tempted, and you're going to fall. And of course, um, I prayed for you in particular, Peter, so after the event is over and you've learned a lesson, you'll be in a position to really help people. You will learn and turn. You will learn and turn. And of course, Peter says, yeah, not going to happen. (laughs) Not going to happen. So this is, God puts us in circumstances to prove who we really are. Peter thought he was one who would never deny Christ. He was taught a lesson. Yes, you are. And he learned it well. So, uh, going back to Matthew 6.13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so many new translations now, the NIV, NSRV, New Revised Standard Version, New uh, uh, NLT, uh, NCV, etc. They end this by saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Mm. And that puts it, I think, in a really good context. So it's better to stay faithful than to be led into temptation. Absolutely. But sometimes, for all of us, and I can give testimony, we get in those situations where God teaches us, you're not who you thought you were. Mm. And Satan has proved it. Aren't you ashamed? Get your act together. Here's a great truth from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Mm. who wrote the book, The Cost of Discipleship, which I recommend to anybody else who hasn't read it. And it indeed cost him. Indeed cost him, yeah. Yeah, he left Germany during the Nazi regime, and then, but came back to be with his people and uh, was hung. Um, here's this quote. Excellent. God's truth judges created things out of love. Remember that. It was out of love that Jesus says, you're going to be had at by Satan, and I've approved of it. Mm. Okay? God's truth judge, judges created things out of love, and Satan's truth judges them out of envy and hatred. Mm. Absolutely. No matter how good the word of Satan sounds, he is hating you with all intensity at the very time he's giving it. So what we got to do is say to ourselves, don't put me in a position to be tried by Satan. I don't want to be part of this lie that has been the ark through all of history from Genesis to Jesus comes back and be part of that. I want to be in the truth. Here are some passages from Romans which help in that, and we'll see how they compare with Eve. Romans 12, verse 3, and then verse 16. 
Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And Romans 12.16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Never be wise in your own eyes, repeated from the book of Proverbs. Mm. Great lessons. I've tried to, to get to that place, you know. I would, well, inconsistently in the beginning. <laughs> Maybe since I'm older, and that's the advantage of older age, you can look over and say, okay, I see where I, that was really stupid. So, What helps to not be wise in your own sight as your sight leaves you as you get older? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so what was it with Eve? She believed herself to be worthy of such wisdom. And she fell into folly. So then we come to the last thing, the arc of the the apostasy, the falling away from the word of God. Genesis 3.6. Randy, would you read that again? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Yeah, listening now is over. Satan has positioned himself. He's taken an opportune moment. They're walking by. As I see, I can even see them. It's a time when they would go to that part of the garden to get some, some fruit or whatever. And here he is eating this. He gets the woman's attention. I would love to know what Adam was doing. We don't have that. Mm-hmm. We didn't, so it's no use to speculate. But the listening now is over. She trusts her sight, not his word. She saw that the uh, fruit was good for food. The only way she could know that, having not yet eaten it, is because Satan had eaten it. And we know that the serpent was the wisest of all the creatures, so mm-hmm. it's good to make you wise. So apparently the serpent was getting wise from eating this fruit. And not only when he eats it, we're in the garden and cool the evening, a conversation, you've got to be at least close up to be face to face. And the aroma of that fruit wifting through the air, coming to her, and I imagine he said this with maybe a little bit of it in his cheek as he was chewing it. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, this is good you stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. So she trusts her sight, not God's word. She trusts her feelings. It's delightful. It's lovely. It's attractive. Not her word. She trusts Satan's word, not God's word. Well, how did it taste? In Hebrews 11.25, we're told that Moses chose to suffer with God's people rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I'm sure in the mouth, I'm sure in the mouth, it tasted good for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, her eyes were open. Mm. Ah, this is good. My eyes are open. And then, whoa, seeing things she'd never seen before, and she and Adam together fell. Innocence lost that quickly. Yes. Um, For those out there who have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, and who hasn't, (laughs) if you've been around for the last 40 or 50 years, uh, toward the end of that movie, there's a scene where finally Belloc has uh, captured Indiana Jones's girlfriend. They're tied up. He's got the ark. He's got his entourage of men, his Nazis with him. And they're there on the side of the mountain. They got the ark there. And they're opening up the lid. And this light comes out. And Belloc is just all lit up. He's smiling. And then these spirits come out with all their smiley faces. And it's, oh, this is wonderful. I have now power, power, power. And before he knows it, it all turns on him. And the fire comes. And they, literally, they go into a meltdown. Yeah. They go into a meltdown. And I, was, I was in Mr. Slocum's sixth grade class when I saw that scene. Mm-hmm. And it so unnerved me. Don't ask me why. <laughs> he was watching on this big v- VHS recorder. I was so unnerved that, uh, that, that 
you know, Mr. Slocum actually stopped it and said, Randy, are you Because okay? <laughs> I've never seen a scene where somebody melted. Before. Yeah. Well, yeah. first time I saw it, I was a little older than you. Yeah. But I, I was astounded, too. I thought, wow, that's cool. Yeah. It's yeah, great. Um, but that, to me, is a good picture of she's really excited. You know, this, the food is going to do it. She's going to be like, God, she's going to have wisdom. Let's eat it. I mean, it's all up. It's all good. And then it comes crashing down. Here is a great quote from Charles Spurgeon, my favorite preacher from the 19th century. A cigar smoker. A cigar smoker and an occasional <laughs> brew, too. <Yeah. laughs> he said, and this is great, Satan can make men dance upon the brink of hell as though they were on the verge of heaven. Oh, wow. And that's Eve. Wow. That's Eve. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to be wise. It's, it's great fruit. Listen, Adam, you take some. Well, let's talk about it. He eats. He capitulates. Okay, so behind the lie is the power of Satan. His only power is to con you, to mm -hmm. fool you, basically deceive you into thinking something that is unworthy of you and death. You can view as life and something you ought to have in your life. Here is a great passage. Paul's preaching to Agrippa in the book of Acts, chapter 26. And this is verses 16 through 18. Randy? But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. To turn those who are in darkness from darkness to light and from the power of Satan. You know, 1 John chapter 5 ends with John saying, The whole world lies in the evil embrace of the evil one. It's just extraordinary. The power of Satan. Satan's goal is power through deception. And as we open this podcast, according to 2 Thessalonians, this is how this age ends. It all began in Genesis, but let's listen once again. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 and 10. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Absolutely. It's either Antichrist or Jesus Christ. We'll be getting to that eventually in our podcast on this new theme of God the Creator and the lie. We either got to love the truth or die in the lie. Part two will be in three weeks. We're going to be out and about for a week, but in three weeks we'll have part two of the lie. The theme there will be that the lie always leads to the idols of power, and Satan's pathway to power is through, watch it, marriage, family, church, and government to destroy everything as he goes so his power alone reigns. And then after that, we'll be looking at the power of the lie in the gay movement. And after that, the power of the lie in the LGBTQAI plus movement. Randy has a parting word. Yeah, as always, we want to thank our listeners and fellow travelers. And uh, we have a note from Adrian uh, from Tennessee who was catching up on the podcast. And he said, a picture is worth a thousand words. Um and since he is a former journalism major by trade, uh, he found a, um, a, um, uh, um, a 
New York Times headline, excuse me, LA Times headline and photo when Larry Elder, a black Republican who was running against Gavin Newsom recently for governor in the state's recall election, was attacked by a, a crazy leftist woman wearing a gorilla suit who uh, threw eggs at him. And uh, a very obvious attack. But the photo was from an entirely different event uh, and was uh, shows him approaching a woman in the photo for a hug, not actually slapping her or, or pushing her away because of what happened. And uh, Adrian was infuriated by uh, that event because uh, because of just the, the lie it was represented with the picture versus what actually happened. Um, but it doesn't tell this, this full story and looks negative for Elder um, and was painted in a negative light by the media. So even with some of the things we have to look at, not only what is said, but what is shown, because uh, sometimes a picture is worth a thousand of the wrong words. That was from one of our earlier podcasts, yes. Amen. Well, thank you, Jim. And we have a lot to think about, and I'm sure there are questions or comments about it. And we'd love to hear from you with those questions and comments. So please send your questions and comments to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the word and, and the word expectation at gmail.com. We'll use your questions or comment where possible, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations, and until next time, keep looking up.